Mr. Redmond Barry. The last occasion on which we met, you wantonly caused me injury and dishonor in such a manner and to such an extent as to which no gentleman can willingly suffer without demanding satisfaction, however much time intervenes. I have now come to claim that satisfaction. Chris Gowser here with Matt Howell. On this episode of The First Riot, Matt and I are going to discuss the return of everyone's favorite Esther. It's Orphan First Kill. And this prequel, Matt, to the cult classic, they take a pretty big swing. But does it connect for a hit? It's, it's a baseball metaphor. Mm-hmm. Then our Malik Marathon continues with its penultimate entry, Night of the Cups. Christian Bale stars as a lost man in search of himself. And apparently there is a raging hurricane around him at all times because Malik's camera is just never stands still. There's the life-bringing rundown of the big releases on physical media featuring your streaming and straight-to-DVD picks of the week. And then finally, Matt and I are going to close out the big show with another round of Call It. What's going to make the cut this time? We're going to have to listen on to find out. But let's start off the festivities with a clip from Orphan First Kill. Hello there. Does your mum or dad work here? Can I see? Is that me? It's very good. I'm Anna. What's your name? Lena. You didn't answer me before. Do your parents work here? Why would you think that? Because you're... I'm what? I'm what, Matt? What am I? You got something to say about my appearance? (laughs) So that is kind of from the opening setup, Matt, of uh, Orphan First Kill. Esther is back, but in a prequel. Mm. So what is this film all about? Esther, the titular orphan who is actually an adult woman who never aged, or at least doesn't look like she's aged past 10 years old, escapes from the mental institution that she's been put into, and basically assumes the identity of a missing American girl um, that was lost in Moscow, apparently, and um, pretends that she is this this long-lost girl, and uh, she is brought back to the States where some members of the family think that there may be something amiss. You know, I thought that she was just kidnapped from Connecticut and brought to Moscow. Was it mm. that she was lost? You know what? I could be incorrect. That's in my own brain. That's what I feel like they explained. Um, but I could be wrong. You know, it doesn't really even matter. It doesn't. Not at all. So, Matt, as I said, the film takes a big swing. Yeah. And I want us to avoid the spoilers on this. Okay. Right. So this would I be like it's... a 30-second review? Perhaps, but I think it's really (laughs) integral to the success of the film. And let me ask you, does the turn in this movie make up for the loss of the initial reveal that we had from the first Orphan film? I guess maybe I should backtrack. You've seen Orphan, the original, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So when we get the the big reveal in that film that Esther is actually this 30-year-old dwarfish woman. Right. That I mean, it hits you. At least it did for me, you know, like a bag of hammers. I mean, Mm -hmm. it it was really well done. I still, I, I've said it many times that I love that first film. A big surprise. I think I bought it on DVD cold. It was a blind mm-hmm. buy for me, a blockbuster when they still existed. Mm-hmm. And I watched and I was like, holy poo, this is awesome. So let me ask you, does the turn make up? Because we don't have kind of that, well, 
there's some similar kind of reveal, right? Yeah. But did it have the same pop as the first one? How did you, what'd you think of Orphan First Kill? So, I mean, first off, so I would like to point out that, you know, um, in the first film, the lead actress is actually 10 years old. You know, she is a child actor. So, of course, the reveal, you know, that she's, you know, 27 or 30 or whatever she is, is comes as like a yeah. gut punch because this person really is 10. Now the actress is like 25, 27. She's not really pulling it off. So, it just takes hey. a little bit of, a little bit of, she, look... She looks like a full-grown woman. That's just the way it is. I was watching Listen. this with with Miss Miss Mrs. First Run One A, and she's like, <laughs> "I'm not buying that at all." Like, she's like, "I want that feedback given during your show." That I was not buying that this was a a supposed to be a kid uh, from the from the get go. I don't. I feel like they do a good job with that. They didn't use any CGI to de-age her. Mm -hmm. They used makeup and kind of forced perspective. Yep. Right to make it look like she was a child, and I really, I didn't really have an issue with it. And in a way, it kind of works in the film. How ridiculous and kind of over the top the movie is. Sure. Uh, it's not like malignant crazy, right? But it's kind of like the kissing cousin for that kind of thing. <laughs> and it, when it gets to its its nuttiness, sure. And I think it's all part of the charm of this film. So I found it. You know, if if we're gonna quibble with things that are unrealistic in orphan force first kill i mean i'm i'm not quibbling i just won a i just wanted to give the feedback as it was given and i happen to agree with it mm -hmm. you know obviously before the success of that film rests on the fact that it's a child actor who does such a good job and you wouldn't yeah. and you could almost believe it's not a kid or is this it's very obviously a, a grown adult woman that they are using the Peter Jackson uh, Lord of the Rings playbook on, you know, making mm -hmm. her look like she's 10 years old kind of thing. Be that as it may, Chris, um, I will say this. I was not, I was really not expecting the twists. I yeah. did not really see that coming. And I thought that was uh, an interesting choice and it definitely caught me off guard. But if I have one gripe with the film is that it asks you to kind of sympathize with this murderer and kind of root for the murderer and mm. make her sympathetic, which I think we talked about in some of our recent, uh, you know, that we appreciated that the murderer is the murderer and we're not supposed to like, you know, sympathize with them. Whereas yeah. this almost is like made like the hero. It was fine. And I, there's a lot that there is to like here, but it just doesn't have the punch that the first one does because it asks you to be like, you know, She's bad, but these people are worse, so it's okay, kind of thing. So you know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's I think it it gets close to having you root for her. It does, <laughs> but I didn't really have an issue with it. I love how awesomely goofy at times this film is. I mean, for me, I found that turn to be kind of absolutely batshit, and I think. It works much better than it has any right to do. It really does, and I think it really solidifies this film and justifies its existence. And it starts off, I think, as your typical competent kind of thriller film. And I'm watching this, Matt, and I'm like, all right, so I'm just going to get kind of a rehash mm -hmm. of the first film. I'm like, all right, oh, you know what? That's fine. I think Furman is great in this role. I enjoy her, you know, especially like she said. She was, I think, like actually like 12 in the first mm -hmm. film, 12 or 13. Okay. But it's still, it's... If I'm getting just another chapter in the story of Esther, then fine. I'm cool with that, as long as it's well done. Sure. But it's more than that. And I think it is a great little... I know I try and stay away from this, but I think it, it's a nice little roller coaster ride-y kind of feel to it. And uh, I, I I enjoy the fact that they did practical effects. They didn't try and CGI and de-age her too much. I mean, you look mm -hmm. at the some of the shortcomings like Scorsese's Irishman had and trying mm -hmm. to de-age De Niro, especially my favorite part about that. So I actually started rewatching that while I was making dinner the other day. And De Niro is supposed to be what in his thirties or forties or thirties, right? At one point, but he yeah. hobbles around like he's still like, <laughs> like the 60s. best part of the Irishman is when he is supposed to be like this badass and he's kicking some guy's ass out in the street. And it looks like, you know, somebody's 80 year old grandfather who's like one strong step away from breaking a hip kind of thing. <laughs> still, I don't know. I was. It's good. I had a lot of fun with this, Matt. And maybe we'll have to go with CGI when we're on Orphan Twelve, and she's in her fifties. <laughs> I don't right. know. 
Right. Now, they say they're open to making another one. Uh, I would be all in for that. I tweeted that out on the First uh-huh. Run's Twitter page just today. Yeah. I got a like from the writer, director, or some of that, oh, the films, nice. which we appreciated that. But uh, still, I think it's a lot of fun. I wish I had a chance to see this in the theater. I did not because I was traveling this weekend. Okay. I did not get a chance to do it. I had to watch it on the uh, Paramount Plus, which, of course... I quickly canceled my free trial, um, basically <laughs> like 10 minutes after I watched it, because nice. I think Paramount Plus really has nothing to offer for me. Mm. Uh, oh, we'll have of, like, Strange the New Worlds. Star Trek stuff. Yeah, yeah. Strange New Worlds is pretty awesome, and Lower Decks is pretty awesome, too. I got enough I got enough to watch. I got enough on my list. <laughs> Maybe at some point, I'll come back to it. Either way, what did you Did you see this in the theaters, or did you no, uh, Paramount no, Plus it? No, no, no. There's very few, Chris, Chris, let's just, let, I'm just going to lay this all out there now, folks. And for my esteemed co-host, if I can get away without going to the theater, nine films out of 10 don't really need the theater experience. And I'm all for just staying at my house um, because, you know, as someone who has recently recovered from COVID, doesn't like the, you know, five hours it takes to go see a movie. You know, I'm, I'm completely fine with that. I'm a busy man. I got shit to do. So I'm fine with staying, staying at home. I can't wait to see you watching the Dune sequel on that old Casio handheld TV <laughs> thing with the antenna you had to pull up. Did I you have never had one of those. Did you have one of those? The little, yes, I did. You know yes. yes, I do. I, I used to, to stay like up and watch uh, Freddy's Nightmares on that nice. in my bed at night. Nice. Um, yeah, I, there are some films I would go see Dune or Top Gun Maverick. I think you obviously mm-hmm. have to see that. But Orphan or, you know... Night of Cups, let's just say it was out in the theaters. I you wouldn't really miss much, you know, if you didn't go see that in a theater. But you're you're they're still having a negative impact on the performance of the film. I'd think that if Orphan First Kill did really well, and I think it did generally okay, especially since it had a day and day premiere on Paramount mm-hmm. Plus. Mm-hmm. If those numbers had popped in a theater, I think we would have been talking about a maybe fifteen million dollar opening. It had a three and a half million. Fair. I don't know what the finer numbers are in Paramount, but it would help you know, perhaps with a, another film, which I is guess, I'd be interested in seeing. But you know what? If AMC would have a 9, 10 a.m. film, would start the effing thing on time instead of like, you know, 40 minutes of previews and ads <laughs> and stuff like that, I don't want to spend like five hours of my Sunday, you know, between commuting and sitting there and doing all that stuff in a movie theater. I just don't. Like, that's... I appreciate that it hurts cinema, but they they need to give a little bit in order to get me back in the theater, you know, without complaint. Well, I think that's part of your charm is listening to complain about things. So <laughs> fair. All right, anything else you want to add about the old uh, orphan part? Do uh, it was nice to see Julia Stiles again. I mean, I she hadn't, I haven't seen her in something in a while, and uh, you know, she did a, a game job on on the mom. Hmm. Hmm. Quite good considering. Hmm. What do you give an orphan first kill, man? Uh, I'm going to give it a B minus. It's good. It doesn't hold up to the original, but you know, it's a, it's a solid little B film. Yeah, B-. I gave it a B plus. Yeah. I give it a B plus. I uh, I had a lot of fun with this thing. I, I think it's maybe I'm a little um, what's the word I'm looking for? God damn COVID <laughs> cloud cloudy head thing. Yeah, um, see, I didn't biased, get the cl- as the kids say because I like the first one so much. Yeah, and you like this type of film, really. And I will That's say, true. I didn't get the COVID fog, but I have a persistent, itchy, dry cough, and it's driving me crazy. Mm. Mm. Yeah, now that lasted for a little while for me, too. Good times. Mm-hmm. Not at all. If you had a chance to see Orphan <laughs> First Kill, shoot us an email at feedback at com. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Enjoyable stuff. As you said, it's currently in theaters, or you can stream it on Paramount+. Plus. Giddy up. Matt, coming up on Physical Media this upcoming Tuesday, August 30th. A little film coming out on UHD that is a bit of a cult classic as well. Not maybe terribly good, but has a kick-ass score and title theme, which is basically the only reason why I'm using it for this clip, because just to sneak in some of the man whenever I can. I knew I had a brother, but I was only four. Hmm. I used to fantasize about you when I was in the orphanage. Yes, I had the same dreams. See these eyes so green. 
didn't think you were ready. But you are. I knew it when I saw you with him. Your whole body burns. I'm not like you! You tell yourself that it's love. But it isn't. It's blood. Death. That's right. Scream Factory is putting out Paul Schrader's Cat People mm-hmm. in a UHD. One of the great, bad, I think, kind of um, enjoyable films from, uh, again, some consider it maybe the greatest year in cinema, 1982, featuring a score by uh, Giorgio Moroder, and then he co-wrote the Cat People theme with David Bowie, Tasha Kinski, Malcolm McDowell. Just a fun, weird little movie. You can pick it up on UHD this upcoming Tuesday. I have the Blu-ray. I, I, I don't need to upgrade Cat People to 4K. <laughs> I'm just impressed you own it at all on physical media. I think I got a really good price on it. So, mm. What else? Brian and Charles, a little independent film is being released. After a particularly harsh winter, Brian goes into a deep depression. Completely isolated and with no one to talk to, Matt. Brian does what any sane person would do when faced with such a melancholic situation. He builds a robot. Also coming up, The Phantom of the Open, featuring Mark Lance and Sally Hawkins. The story of golfer Maurice Flitcroft, whose performance at the 1976 British Open Golf Championship made him a legend. American Carnage, after a governor issues an executive order to arrest the children of undocumented immigrants, the newly detained youth are offered an opportunity to have their charges dropped by volunteering to provide care to the elderly. Olga, a 15-year-old Ukrainian gymnast exiled in Switzerland, was working to secure a place at the country's National Sports Center. When the Euro Maiden revolt breaks out in the country, anxieties rise as her family gets involved. A documentary, Gabby Giffords Won't Back Down, is being released. It's kind of the story of Gabby Giffords up to and, and including and then after her assassination attempt. On her, I should say. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Facing Nolan. It's a documentary about uh, Nolan Ryan. And getting a release... On Blu-ray is the uh, first season of 61st Street. I know we don't mention television shows, but I love Courtney B. Vance. And this is the uh, new show starring him. Uh, He plays Moses Johnson, a promising black high school athlete who slipped up into the infamously corrupt Chicago criminal justice system. And Franklin Roberts takes on this case because he recognizes its potential to upend the entire Chicago judicial system. I think Vance is actually playing Franklin Roberts. I don't think he's the promising young athlete. (laughs) Going out and in there. Mm Mm-hmm. Criterion is putting out Fiadia. Ethiopian legend has it that Kat, a stimulant leaf, was found by Sufi imams in search of eternity. Inspired by the myth of Fayadai, I'm sure I'm massacring that, it's a spiritual journey into the highlands of Harar, immersed in the rituals of Kat, a leaf that Sufi Muslims chewed for religious meditations, in Ethiopia's most lucrative cash crop today. And Brenda Digital Master approved by the director Jessica Bashir. Three short films by Bashir are included as well. He Who Dances on Wood, Heroin, and Hirat, all featuring an introduction by the director. Vinegar Syndrome is putting out Writing Wrongs. A lawyer angry at the way the law seems to protect the bad guys decides to take the law into his own hands when a key witness and his entire family are murdered. You have a three Blu-ray set. Includes three different unaltered original feature-length presentations of the film. The original Hong Kong cut, which is 96 minutes. The Cantonese, English, and Mandarin language tracks, along with newly translated Cantonese English subtitles. Also included is the extended and vastly different Mandarin language export cut that runs about 100 minutes. And then the newly translated Mandarin to English subtitles includes the English-friendly version, Above the Law, that runs at 92 minutes. The Best of Martial Arts Films, the 91-minute feature-length documentary, hosted by John Saxon, includes footage and interviews with Cynthia Rothrock, Yuen Bao, Karen Shepard, Jackie Chan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bruce Lee, and more. Also includes a brand new audio commentary track featuring Cynthia Rothrock, Really, just a ton of new stuff on this set, as well as a 40-page book with essays from various critics and authors. Vinegar Syndrome is putting out Shriek of the Mutilated. Anthropology students searching for the Yeti on a deserted island are terrorized by the beast as he kills members of the party one by one. Brand new 4K restoration on that one, the new audio commentary, and some new interviews. Has there been like a weird run on like Yeti slash Bigfoot movies lately? Or is that just me? I feel like we've had like one a week for like a month now. I didn't notice it, but now that you mention it, I think you may be right. I don't know. Maybe it's the, the monster du jour. Could be. Good times. Everybody loves a good Yeti movie. Though I don't know if I've ever really seen one. 
Have I seen a good Bigfoot Yeti movie? I don't think I have. We'll have to rectify that. So anyway, <laughs> what else we got, Matt, coming out? Cyber Vengeance. Brand new 4K restoration of that in the year 2005, which I'm assuming at one point was in the future. The prison system has been completely privatized, and cyber prisons have become the new means for housing the guilty. Featuring Robert Davi and J. Gregory Smith. Roller Babies or, and or Mount of Venus in the future, Matt. Oh, this one's right up your alley. Sex will be illegal, but there oh, will no. be Roller Babies. In a dystopian world where sex has been deemed a punishable offense to reduce the population, the only form of carnal release can be experienced through explicit action on TV. With an oversaturation of hardcore programming, Sherman Frobish's network is taking a dive until he devises an ingenious plan to regain viewership. Roller babies. I don't know what that means, and I'm terrified to find out. 2K <laughs> restoration on that one, brand new from the original camera negative. A pair of Bridget LaHaye films is being released, uh, I believe on UHD too, from Severn. The Female Executioner and Faceless, both getting put out. Severn's also putting out All About Evil. This is uh, featuring Natasha Leone, who mm. plays Deborah Tennis, who inherits her father's beloved but fla- failing old movie theater. In order to save the family business, she discovers her inner serial killer. And the Legion of Rabbit Gore fans. I watched a trailer for this. It looks pretty low budget, but kind of fun. Includes it on a commentary with a writer, director, and making a featurette and more. Uh, Forgotten Jolly 5 is being released as a set. This includes a white dress from Marley, Tropic of Cancer, and Nine Guests for a Crime, all getting 4K restorations. Vinegar Syndrome is also putting out Hot Snake, Guns, and Guts. It's a pair of uh, spaghetti westerns, both getting mm-hmm. 4K restorations. And then they're also putting out The Birds 2, Land's End, with a brand new 2K restoration of that one. And of course, it's that time of the month. Vinegar Syndrome reveals all of their new partner labels. Here we go. <laughs> Culture Shock releasing Police's Raw Nerve. What else? Partner label Fun City Editions is putting out Heartbreakers. Uh, Kavi is uh, doing a 4K restoration of Sampo. This is that, you know, that classic Mystery Science Theater episode, uh, The right. Day the Earth Froze, I think it's known as. Okay. That they're doing with Partner Circle. That was a pretty good one. That's one of the better, I think, in the Mike era, the uh, Sampo, The Day of the World or Earth Froze or something like that, whatever it's called. Altered Innocence is putting out Jack Be Nimble. Canadian International Pictures is doing Don't Let the Angels Fall. Yellow Veil is putting out Lux Eterna. Factory 25 is going to do The Oregonian. And then Agfa is doing Satan's Children. Saturn's Core is putting out Ravage. Connie is putting out Tremble All You Want. And then what's that? Big World Pictures is putting out Victoria. And the Utopia Distribution is putting out We're All Going to the World's Fair. You can go to uh, Vinegar Syndrome's site for more details. Obviously, it's mostly just a lot of old school, very low budget action thriller type stuff. So you can check those all out as well. Arrow's putting out Running Out of Time Collection, Expert Hostage Negotiator, Hao Sang Sung, played by Lao Ching Wang of Black Mask and Mad Detective fame, is drawn into a psychological game of cat and mouse when a criminal mastermind with weeks to live decides to take on the entire Hong Kong police force. Brand new 2K restoration of that one, and this includes both films, Running Out of Time, Running Out of Time 2, and as I said, both of them get a 2K restoration with brand new audio commentaries. Music Box is putting out Six and Lucia, an underrated director's cut on Blu-ray, Kino is putting out Mysterious Island of Beautiful Women. Don't get too excited, Matt. It's Kino. It's going to be something from like the 50s. Uh, 2K restoration on that one. Matahare from Kino with a new audio commentary. The Tenth Man, based on the novel by Graham Greene. Cinema's first nasty, nasty women. I added that extra nasty. Uh, it's a four-dick set that showcases Matt more than 14 hours of rarely seen silent films about feminist protests, slapstick rebellion, suggestive gender play, and more. Shout Factory, as part of their select series, is putting out A Walk in the Woods. This is the film featuring Robert Redford and Nick Nolte, also with Emma Thompson, Mary Steenburgen, Nick Offerman, and Kristen Shaw. And then finally, Matt, your UHD releases the week. The uh, anime film Bell is getting UHD digipack. Vinegar Syndrome is putting out The Incredible Melting Man, what we did mm. for our, um, what was it, Gross Out or Unrated? Or, Body Horror. Was it Marathon? Body, Body Horror. Horror, thanks. It's a good mm-hmm. thing you're here. Brand new 4K restoration of that, as well as an HDR presentation of the film with a commentary and more, which is good because the Blu-ray of that, I think, was put out by Severn? I don't know. It's been out print for a while. And no, it was Shot Factory. And then Vegas Syndrome is also putting out in a traditional 4K, the not the deluxe edition that you can get on their site, the classic Miami Connection 
one of the Ooh. best bad movies ever made. I adore. I have it on Blu-ray from uh, Almo Draft House. And then The Warrior is getting a steelbook release from Best Buy. This is a Tom Hardy, Joel Edgerton MMA mm-hmm. movie, which is pretty good. Okay. And then, Matt, I'm going to go with straight to DVD. Pick of the week is going to be Shout Factory's putting out Space Truckers. John Canyon is one of the last independent space transport entrepreneurs. Rough times forcing to carry suspicious cargo to Earth without questions being asked. During the flight, their cargo turns out to be a multitude of unstoppable and deadly killer robots. What should we be streaming this week? Well... Chris said uh, we don't really talk about TV shows on this on this podcast, but that's crap. As long as I'm here, I'm going to talk about TV shows. So available this week is uh, the latest entry in the MCU TV shows, uh, She-Hulk, starring Tatiana Maslay. It's actually pretty fun. It's a cute little uh, uh, She-Hulk uh, adventure, funny kind of thing. It's it's good. And I had to get really excited for the latest entry after the incredible disappointment that was Game of Thrones. The new Game of Thrones show, House of the Dragon, was actually pretty good. So I was, uh, you know what? If you had a bad taste in your mouth at the end of Game of Thrones, set it aside and give this one a chance. Great. I Sure. I'll add them all to my list. I still haven't you know seen what, Stranger Things. I haven't seen... Yeah. See, here's the thing, Chris. We, <laughs> caught, we talk about this stuff, yet instead you're going to watch... What is it you said you were watching during while you were making dinner? Oh, the, the Irishman. I had the Irishman. Yeah. So, you, how many times have you seen the Irishman? But you, you know, you Always just can't watch and you can't watch a new a new. But uh, I got to put stuff on that I can't pay. I don't have to pay attention. You actually know what I put on the other day? What's that? I've been watching because I've been dealing with a little personal kind of issues. I've been like sad, like depressed about stuff. I'm not even oh. sure why. Oh, that's sorry. Buddy. So you know what I put on? While I was making dinner the other night, and I almost what? moved you to tears because of how pure it is mm-hmm. and how much joy it gives me. Okay. Great British Bake Off. <laughs> Very good. Very good. I've seen every season twice, and I just, you know what? I'm putting this on, and I popped it on, and I'm like, <sighs> it's like a bomb for the soul, <laughs> that show. I don't know what it is. I adore it. Gonna... Even though Netflix, Netflix pulled them, like all the seasons prior to Noel, which yeah. bothers me, because they're all good, but... um. Are you going to watch the the Great American Bake Off with the same made by the same people and the same hosts and everything? I'll try it. We watched the first two episodes, I think, of the of the series from like two years ago. Mm-hmm. I didn't really care for the hosts, and I didn't think it was terribly good, and we just never stuck with it. Okay, so fair enough. All right, let me see. I feel like I have another question for you. I'm Garth Marenghi, author, Dreamweaver, visionary, plus actor. You are about to enter the world of my imagination. You are entering my dark place. All right, Matt. We discussed it last week. I pointed out that Garth Marenghi was on Amazon Prime. You were going to watch the first episode and report Mm -hmm. back to us. Did that happen? And how did you go? Yeah, it did happen. Um, I did watch the very first episode. I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to watching the rest of it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's for everybody. I think it has to be of a certain nerd yeah. caliber as as like us are. But you know what? I think everybody should give it a shot just to see if maybe you are, even deep down, the kind of nerd that we are. But it's 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 a really funny show. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Good, good. Uh, that scene when the cat gets thrown out into the hallway in the very beginning. And <laughs> yeah. Richard Ayode in that when he plays Dean, his Dean Lerner character is one of my like I think one of my all time favorite comic com- com- yeah. comedic characters. It just even in Garth, just so so funny. Oh, I'm well, glad you enjoyed I'll, it. This is what I'll do. I'll, I'll watch. I'll, I'll after this show. I'll, I haven't watched one since it was my daughter's birthday, so he left town. Um, but I will. I'll watch one after every show we do, and I'll report back the following okay. week. <laughs> so what would you, or let me ask you then, what would you grade the first episode then? Um, I think I would give it a B plus. I think it takes a little bit of getting into kind of thing and kind of getting into its headspace. Mm-hmm. But I'm confident that, I mean, I enjoyed it and you seem to love it. So I'm, I'm confident that it's going to uh, improve for me. I'm glad you enjoyed it. All right. Whew, I was really nervous oh. about that. <laughs> I thought you were going to ask me about one cut of the dead again. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've given up on that. Yeah, I'll get around so, to it one of these days before I die. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, let's keep going and let's spend a few minutes to talk about uh, Night of the Cups. It seems you're alone. 
Even now, he's taking your hand and guiding you by a way you cannot see. If you are unhappy, you shouldn't take it as a mark of God's disfavor. Just the contrary. It might be the very sign he loves you. He shows his love, not by helping you avoid suffering, by sending you suffering, by keeping you there. To suffer binds you to something higher than yourself, higher than your own will, takes you from the world to find what lies beyond it. So, Matt, that actually was the last role for uh, Armin Mueller-Stahl, who plays Father Zietlinger. He's the priest in uh, Night of the Cups. The uh, 2000 and, um, I guess, what, 16 was its wide-release film from Terrence Malick. Mm Mm-hmm. Featuring Christian Bale as Rick. He's a screenwriter in California. And he's very successful, but he's lost. Right? He feels kind of empty. He's experienced a, a horrible tragedy. His brother has died. And he basically is adrift now, trying to figure himself out and his life. And the film is framed, Matt, in eight chapters based on a tarot deck. So we have the moon, the hanged man, the hermit, judgment, the tower, the high priestess, death, and freedom. And they're all represented by different people, mostly women, but different people uh, in his life. Mm-hmm. And well, as I said in the opening, Matt, Malik, I think this is one of his, for me, one of his, maybe his most experimental film that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, his camera, as I said in the opening, is never stationary, I think, for more than four or five seconds at mm-hmm. one point. It only happens a couple times. He is moving and sweeping around our actors at all times. What I love when I do some research about this, that he wrote a script. He wrote the script. He wrote this. Malik wrote it, but he never gave Bale the pages. <laughs> he gave them to everybody else. Okay. And then he would receive pages of like internal and verbal monologues and stuff for each shooting day. Okay. And then he would be asked to kind of improvise with the people around him. <laughs> so like Bale supposedly said it, what he was making the movie. He's like, I'm not even sure what this movie's about and what it's going to be <laughs> when it's all said and done. And then he would do, I guess what it says here, he used a process called torpedoing, where a character is thrown into a scene without the other actor's advanced knowledge, forcing them all to int- improvise together. And it's a really interesting film. Once I kind of figured out what was happening and that we are not seeing a linear narrative, Mm-hmm. that we are seeing different things we are seeing rick's thoughts his memories his dreams right some of the stuff that happens to him is real and, and and it's all happens to him but other stuff i think is all just kind of his mood mm-hmm. and his you know just kind of projections of his experiences and, and his feelings and matt i was it just I felt like I was swept up in a river that I had no control of. That was, you know, just had sweeping me away through the course of this film. And I was, I was really just absolutely blown away by this experience. Um, what, what about you? I feel, I'm wondering if you, I'm thinking it did not have the same emotional impact on you that it did me. It didn't. So this thing is the first film that we've watched where, just as Chris said, it doesn't really have a solid or at least easily accessible narrative. I mean, there is a story going on here, but mm-hmm. even like most of, you know, what is going on on the screen, the interaction with the different actors, whether it's Bale with Brian Dennehy or Kate Blanchett or some prostitutes that he's come up with and he's chasing them around with a potted plant kind of thing. You don't hear any of the dialogue going on. It's all this kind of either ambient music or Mm -hmm. it's like this narration. And it's almost like it gives it this air of almost like to me, it almost seemed like the incoherent flashes of like a dying man kind of seeing things in his life right and he's Mm. kind of putting in like this kind of 
overall soundtrack of whatever they are, of whoever's speaking, and the events as they're being presented on the screen, you're only getting maybe like 10% of the dialogue, right? And you're kind of, and it's just out of reach and you can't hear it. And I found it a very disorienting experience. I think it's something to behold. And I think it's basically, for me, the way to approach this is almost like you're watching a series of like visual lyric poems that are being put up on screen. And each one of mm-hmm. them doesn't really have anything to do necessarily. There's not really any connective tissue. Right. And for all the other Malik films that I've seen, all the ones for this marathon and the ones I've seen before, there is a coherent narrative. Now, obviously there's a lot of other things kind of around it and kind of what his, his things that he wants to show but this one, I found it very hard to, I found it, it was, I appreciated the craft and I appreciated what he was doing. And I was, you know, entranced by what he was doing on screen. But at the end, when it was finished, I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. Like, it feels yeah. like it's something that you could take pieces of and say, that's brilliant. But then you could take the scene right before it or after it and be like, mm, that's just weird. and doesn't work for me kind of thing. I don't know. I think there's something there, but I don't think it's 100% successful. Not for me. I was almost moved to tears multiple times watching this film just by the sheer artistry of it. And I was, and I'll talk about this because I think it's important for people to get um, behavioral assistance, behavioral health assistance. Mm -hmm. I was talking about this. One of the things my therapist always asked me at the end of our sessions, he asked me for a movie recommendation. (laughs) But I was talking about this film. And mm. how it, it really impacted me. And I'm going through Rick's story and what happens. And then it hit me. What's the big triggering event in his life that has caused mm-hmm. him to spiral this way? Mm-hmm. It's the death of his brother. Right. And I have personally a lot of probably stuff that I have not worked out internally with the passing of my brother. Sure. And it is... And then when I had that moment of revelation too, I don't know why it didn't occur to me at the time while I'm watching the film, but it clearly was working on me inside. And I think maybe it was being masked by the sheer artistry and the beauty of this film. Matt, there's one scene where I almost flat out lost it. We have Frida Pinto underneath these docks in Los Angeles. And then Malik's camera just sweeps past her mm-hmm. into the ocean with the docks. With it, it, it's, it's beautiful. It is stunning. Stunning. And the whole film has like moments, and now they're not all like that. But how he's able to turn all these little places in L.A. or in California or something—I think he's maybe in Arizona or New Mexico. I don't know. Either way, a lot of these sometimes you would think maybe mundane locations, mm-hmm. he turns them into these beautiful shots and images. And I. I don't. I think it's that they shot basically freeform, kind of live on streets and in buildings mm-hmm. and parties and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's an incredible experience. I really think, at least for me, is that you kind of have to, as I said, let yourself go, let yourself be taken by this film. And I think you. I don't know. I just had a really incredible experience with this film. I know, I. I hear and understand what you're saying about it. Mm-hmm. I do. But I think that it just had a, such a deeper impact on me about how life is so difficult and yet so delicate. How relationships between people, family members, lovers, can be so challenging. And it all can depend on how strong or weak you are. How much decision, what kind of decision are you going to make? What kind of effort are you going to put into this kind of stuff? If you have a friend that's in a difficult relationship and they've lost so much and they're so scared to let go... You know, and it's just, ah, this thing's been stuck in my head ever since I watched it. It is, I don't know, man. I haven't been like this deeply rattled emotionally by a film in a very long time. And I think it's just, I'm sure it has something to do with my own stuff. But then again, really the sheer artistry of Malick's movie. I just, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it, Matt. I gave it, I ended up giving it an A minus. I think it's one of the stronger efforts we've seen. I think everything has been fantastic so far, Mm -hmm. but yeah, no, that's, I I don't know. I don't know what else to say. (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I feel like this is a very divisive film. I mean, if you look online, like on some people are like Chris who gush about it, you know, four and a half, five stars and other people are kind of like, like me. I didn't really connect with it. I think this is the first film 
yeah, I, I just don't know how I feel about it. Like, I instantly connected to the New World or the Thin Red Line or even Days of Heaven, at least just the kind of gorgeous paintings that he makes with his film. Whereas this, it's it's just a very different experiment of a very capable filmmaker, you know, a real artist of a filmmaker trying something out. I think there's very little middle ground in this. It's either for you or it's just, you're just not going to be on for the ride kind of thing. And either one is fine. I personally gave it a C plus. I think it's probably the weakest that I've seen so far of Mm -hmm. his films, but I still, again, much like orphan, I will say that it's still something worth experiencing. I think you should watch it and find out because if you are like in Chris's camp where this is something that will really move you and affect you, then great. You should give yourself the opportunity to experience that, but maybe you won't love it and that's okay too. Yeah. I'm adjusting my grade to an A too. I'm, I'm taking, getting rid of the A minus because I remember <laughs> something else just remind, hit me too. I remembered another thing that since Phil inspired me to do again is to draw and to paint again. Mm. It really, it's kind of, reunited my own personal artist too so that's 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 really i'm i'm very proud of you but i i i'm almost baffled that i did not stir any of those emotions (laughs) at all in me at all none of my latent artistry was not touched by any of this so you know what you are a confounding man terrence malick yes indeed (laughs) indeed Uh, wow okay if you had a chance to see night of the cups shoot us an email at feedback at the first run.com. I think you have to rent it online. You maybe you can stream and pay for it. I just bought the Blu-ray. Yeah, this so. is I I believe it's actually available on quite a few services. So it's on Peacock, okay. which is where I watched it. It's on things like um like Pluto and some of those and Tubi and stuff like that. Obviously you'll have to deal with commercials to an extent, but it is available out there on a lot of different services if you want to watch it. Good, thank you. Yeah, I got it for ten bucks on Blu-ray, oh, so nice. um, I wanted to have a physical copy of it because I've loved all the films we've watched so far. Mm-hmm. And I thought too, it was kind of hard to find a physical media. I think I mentioned this last week. Like some people on eBay are selling it for like thirty-five, forty dollars. Right. So I'm thinking it's a little scarce. So yeah. I wanted to grab it while I could. Though Very hopefully good. maybe there'll be a Criterion release at some point. I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, if you had a chance to see Night of the Cups, email feedback at thefirstrun dot com. All right, Matt, I'm gonna try and loosen up now. Trying to shake out all these emotions here, and um, let's spend a couple, spend a foot of a ba, or some people say, let's spend a couple minutes and have a little fun with a game called um, Call It. Okay, let's play Call It. Ah, quick announcement for two of Greendale's finest. Payday is postponed until next week, so this is my freestyle rap apology. Well, I'm a peanut bar, and I'm here to say your checks will arrive on another day. Another day, another dime, another rhyme, another dollar. Another stuffed shirt with another white collar. Criminals, Wall Street, taking the pie, and all the black man gets is a plate of white lies. Prisons recruiting them, police be shooting them. Rap artists looting them, labels all diluting them. Barack Obama, he's scared of me, because I don't swallow knowledge, and I spit it for free. Let me clear my throat. <laughs> I don't know what that was, I don't. I don't know what that was. <laughs> uh, I love that show so much. I really need to. So that's what yeah. I should do is rewatch Community all the way through. I have so. rewatched Community multiple times in, in the intervening years. I've done. I've watched it end to end. I think three or four times, and it still holds up. It's great. I was started to rewatch them on Netflix, then I realized they pulled the Advanced Dungeons uh, and Dragons. Bullshit. Yeah, messed up. I just, hate it. It just makes me so angry. Physical media. Yeah. That's why you need it. That's it. And I, I had them all on DVD except for um, the Gas Leak season, which was okay. like season four. Yeah. Then Amazon had the Blu-ray set for like twenty-five dollars for oh, all nice. of them, so I, I just bought it. Yeah. And then I, I donated all of my uh, DVDs to the library there, so. Okay, Mac, call it. What is the best episode of Community? Because I should say, the reason why I'm bringing this up is that supposedly Dan Harmon said that a Community movie may be moving forward after all, mm-hmm. and that all the mm-hmm. principals are interested and they have some ideas. Yeah. So um, what's the best episode of that show? Whew, well, I 
I think I'm gonna have to say it's the Dungeons, the first Dungeons and Dragons episode. It's completely in my wheelhouse. I really love it. There's a lot of strong contenders, but honestly, that that episode is just Chef's kiss. So good, especially for someone who's who's into the hobby like I am. Yeah, now that one is pretty much made for you, right? Mm-hmm. I think my one, it's kind of the layup too. It's the uh, lazy one, which is remedial chaos theory. Mm-hmm. Um, where they show all the different versions of events that ha- could have happened, right? It's the one where it's the it's the the meme gif one when Troy comes in with the pizzas and everything's yeah. like on, place on fire and everybody's going yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. that episode. So um, that f- episode is so brilliant. The whole show is brilliant. Like the the paintball episodes are yes. so good. Yes. So yeah, it's I really need to start rewatching that show again. I love it yeah. so much. You know what? If you look at any, if you look in any internet comment comment section, especially once on politics, and somebody quotes, "This is the darkest timeline." That is from the episode that uh, Chris is talking about right here. That's it. It's I had, you know it's funny too. When I was pulling clips for this, mm-hmm. I had like eight community clips, and I couldn't decide <laughs> which one to use. So I ended up going with a little Dean Pelton there. So all right, what do you got, Matt? All right, so HBO Max continues its doing whatever the hell it is doing. And it's announced that uh, Evil Dead Rise is being moved off of the streaming service and it's going to be get a theatrical release. At the same time, we heard that the Hellraiser reboot is also going to get a day and date on Hulu. So, call it. Evil Dead Rise or the Hellraiser reboot, which has Clive Barker as a producer. Ooh, they got a... Uh, I was going to try and do the Robbie Coltrane Goldeneye, we they have a female M now. They have a pinhead is going to be a yeah, lady. It is. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, yes, no, maybe so. I'm gonna say between the two series, Evil Dead has brought me much more joy. Mm. So I'm much more interested in thinking the Evil Dead film. I like the first two Hellraiser movies, and they're two of the most disturbing films I've seen. Mm-hmm. I tend to watch at least one every Halloween. I think I'm due for Hellraiser 2 this year. But, uh, yeah, and although I haven't watched any of the Hellraiser movies outside of the third one. What's the yeah. one where they're in the apartment, right? In New York City or something like that? Uh, the art honestly, gallery? They, they all merge I think, that's I think that is the third one. I think it is, but they're they're bad. They're bad, folks. I haven't seen that one, too, since I think USA Saturday Nightmares. I think that's how long ago I think I saw that. I'm not sure if that timeline fits. It's been a long time. I'll just say that. Yeah. But... Yeah, I would have to say I'm more excited for Evil Dead than I am Hellraiser. Though I will watch both. What about you? Yeah, um, so I'm not a super fan of Evil Dead. Like a lot of people in the kind of uh, nerd circles that I run in are are really super fans of Evil Dead. I much prefer mm-hmm. the Hellraiser series. Uh, or at least I enjoy the concept of Hellraiser a lot better. Although mm. Evil Dead... Overall, the quality is much higher. Um, the Ash versus the Evil Dead show I thought was quite good it, for most of its run, I, but I think I really need to see this new Hellraiser. So I'm, I'm gonna go really? with Hellraiser between the the two. Yeah, I think there's a lot of good Evil Dead out there. There's the remake. There's the show. Like if you were doing the Call It game where you had to jettison one or the other, I think there's enough quality Evil Dead out there that we could lose that in favor of maybe getting at least something quality for Hellraiser. Interesting. You're saying in future projects, mm-hmm. you wouldn't, what if you could only have one at all period? Like one, there would never existed. If one would never existed, man, I really love that first one, that first Hellraiser. So I guess I would have to go with Hellraiser, even though mm. all the rest of the evil Dead is still much better on the whole. Yeah. I, I would have to go quality and quantity. Over quality for the Hellraiser <laughs> films, but yeah, fair. All right, good times, Matt. All right, I'm gonna. I know I'm really messing with the structure of call it this week. But I'm gonna keep doing it, Matt. Okay. Tier these '80s action stars. Call it. All right, I want you from order from worst to best. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah. Van Damme, Seagal, mm-hmm. Norris, Sly, and Arnold. Okay. So Arnold's first. That's mm-hmm. easy. Norris is last because. Oh really? Yeah. Seagal is after Norris because he has the beauty that is out for justice, and that is, that is a, a that is a, a an incredible uh, uh, pulp film that we could watch. Van Damme 
has the one-two punch of Bloodsport and Kickboxer, so I gotta go with those over Steven Seagal and Chuck Norris. Um, if for no other reason that that weird little dance he does in the Thai nightclub or bar or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I guess Classic Stallone. Stuff. Stallone. I mean, I think Stallone and Arnold have to be one and two, but Arnold's by far number one. I mean, he's in the only one who's in consistently good movies throughout the the, the entirety of the 80s. That's very true. Yeah, I'd probably, mine would probably mirror yours pretty much. I think Norris would be last. I'd go back and forth on Seagal and Van Damme because I also like Time Cop and all its cheesy sci-fi action mm-hmm. But outside of that, that's the only, the only ones I w- I'm not sure on is Van Damme or Seagal. I think I would end up giving it, I would put Van Damme after Seagal. So Seagal would be three for me on that list because like you said, the strength of his Bronx, New York, mm-hmm. You know, Out for justice. And you know what? And Under Siege is pretty good, too. Under Siege is not a bad film. It is good. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. All right. So, more TV shows talk. You ready? Yeah. Um, I've already mentioned House of the Dragon. Game of Thrones. And then, in a couple of weeks, we get The Rings of Power, which Amazon spent $400 million on the first insane. season. And it's apparently... It is all up there on the screen from the early early talk that it is it is gorgeous to look at. So... Call it House of the Dragon or The Rings of Power. Which one are you going with? Gun to your head, Chris. They're going to sit you down and make you watch a TV show from beginning to end. Which one are you picking? Well, considering I never finished Game of Thrones, Mm -hmm. I think I only watched the first three or four seasons. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I think I'm going to go Lord of the Rings. I'm more excited to see what that story is going to be than Mm -hmm. any more dragons. Yeah. And other people. I'm with you. Um, I think I would definitely have to go with the, the Rings of Power, um, Lord of the Rings. I am really, really excited to get more Nazgul slash Ring Raids in my life because that is something that I need. Good times. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I got to stop saying good times. I'm trying to try break myself that <laughs> habit. It's part of your right. Chris. If you say so. So like you said, WB Discovery is pushing a lot of stuff back. Mm-hmm. So, like, the new Shazam movie got pushed back the next year. Aquaman got pushed the next year as well. Mm-hmm. Because, supposedly, WB Discovery only has enough money on hand to put out two more movies this year. Oh, shit. And they're wow. going with Don't Worry Darling, Olivia Wilde's film, mm-hmm. and Black Adam. So, Matt, if you had to choose one or the other, which one would you prefer to see? Oh, wow. I gotta say, because the Olivia Wilde film, the trailers look Interesting, interesting Twilight Zoney to me, and Chris yep. Pine looks like a ton of fun in that film. Yeah, we're both fans of Florence Pugh. Yeah, so I'm intrigued by that film. Though I love me some Doctor Fate, but I, I, I don't know something about the Rock in that movie is just it's setting off my spidey sense to mix my comic companies there. You know, I'm not sure about which way I would really go with those. How do you feel about it? I, if you would ask me before I saw the trailer. For Black Adam, I would have said Black Adam. But now that I've seen it, I'm not a hundred percent confident that I'm gonna that it's gonna be as good as I hope it is. So yeah, I think I'm gonna have to go with Olivia Wilde's film because I am strangely intrigued with Florence Pugh, Chris Pine, hell, even Harry Styles seems like he's putting in a a, a competent workmanlike performance. So I'm I'm interested to see it. You should go on the Twitters after the recording of the show because a clip dropped today from that film with him okay. and Pew and supposedly I haven't watched it yet, but it's getting lots of razzes, lots of uh, thumbs down, so as the kids say. Yeah, okay, I guess he's gotcha. having an aggressive conversation with her, and he's supposedly not very good. So we'll okay. have to see. I would right. probably still go Black Adam because it's got Hawkman, it's got Doctor Fate, mm-hmm. right? And I need twelve-year-old Chris needs to see those on the big screen. Yeah, yeah, Doctor Fate. I'm excited to see Doctor Fate. That's Brosnan, right? Is that Pierce Brosnan? Yep. yep. Okay. Yeah, I'm not. It's, it's sad to say I'm not super excited to see Dwayne Johnson's version of Black Adam. I'm more excited to see Pierce Brosnan's version of Doctor Fate in this film. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. So my last one, Chris. Halloween ends in the mm. movie theater or at your home, considering what we got from Halloween Kills. Hey, I liked Halloween Kills. You <laughs> thought it was okay too, it was, right? Yeah. It was, yeah. It was, it was, it's not I as liked... bad as everybody makes it out to be, but it's not as no. good as the first one. Mm, yeah, nah. So I, I'm, I'm going to the theater for that. I'm, I'm a theater guy. You're asking the wrong guy, Matt. If I have a choice <laughs> team between theater and home, I'm going to the theater. Mm-hmm. I still want that experience. I don't mm-hmm. care if it's Cars 2 
Or if it's Halloween Kills, I'm going to go to the theater. Are you? I think there's been a couple movies that you were thankful that you could see it at home. Maybe afterwards, but my preference is always still (laughs) to go to the theater. It absolutely is. You know what? I'm on the toss. I'm like Nicole Kidman. I'm, I'm Nicole Kidman. The magic comes alive for me. AMC makes the movies better, except mm. they don't mask their screens. In fact, I watched a movie this week that had a tear in the screen mm. that I hadn't been to that particular theater in over a year, and the tear was there last time as well. So that upsets me a little bit. I was actually mm. AMC Plainville. I took my nephews to go see Thor Love and Thunder because oh, okay. I was in town. Yeah. And uh, let me tell you, plays pretty good second time around. Does it? I'm looking forward to watching it on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Yeah. God. Yeah. Side note, folks, if you haven't seen the recut of uh, of uh, House of Gucci inserted into that to Nicole Kidman, <laughs> <laughs> it is fantastic. <laughs> That's really good, yeah. <laughs> it is. Um, honestly, right now, Chris, you've kind of guilted me into it. You've shamed me. Right now, I intend to see Halloween ends in the theater but I reserve the right to change my mind by the time we get there. Fine. Do what you gotta do. (laughs) Are you going to rewatch them all? I may watch. I want to see, maybe I'll go, uh, I'll do it. I'll go Halloween, Halloween, (laughs) Halloween kills (laughs) and then Halloween ends. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, maybe I will. You know what I just got too for, um, uh, other stuff that I'm working on. I picked up the, uh, UHD, Ooh. of uh halloween the original nice. original nice because they did do a, a new scan a 4k scan in 2021 and supposedly it's supposed to be the best it's ever looked it's got a dolby atmos track though how big a deal is that atmos track mm-hmm. going to be on, on a halloween movie which i'm i think was recorded originally a mono right i'm um, likely stereo but not right. uh still um yeah and there's a cool thing about this set matt too is it has the original color timing and Blu-ray, as well as the the TV version, is included on this, which has some extra scenes. You know what else okay. I have, too? Did I ever tell you about that I have Halloween the Sandman cut on Blu-ray? No. It's a fan edit where okay. they combined Halloween and Halloween 2 into one movie. Oh. And with some also added scenes from the TV version. So okay. it's all one movie. I bought it. But it's pretty cool. Is it? Actually, it's kind of fun. It's It's long. Right, because you're watching the two movies, but uh, it's a little over three hours, I think. But it's still, it's a fun experience to watch the whole thing kind of play all the way through. Those fan edits are fun. I did watch, end up watching that uh, Maple Films fan edit of The Hobbit, where they basically try and get it as close to the book as possible. It's a much better film. Mm, interesting. Mm. All right, I got. Do I have one more for you? I feel like I do. I'm gonna. I have one sorta. All right. Okay. I know how much you love musicals. Let's oh, close oh. it out on this. Mm-hmm. Grease or Rocky Horror? Ugh. I dislike them both, if I'm being quite what? honest with you. I do. I do not like them. <sighs> I, love I do them not both. like them, Sam. I am. I do not. Um, I, Although I have to say, I'm going to have to say that I hate Grease more. And especially it's a lot of its creepy undertones and stuff in some of those songs. So I'm going to go with Rocky Hour Picture Show. Because we're talking about chicks creaming their jeans. That's a problem for you. <laughs> or putting up fights. Things like that, you know. Sure. Uh, <laughs> I would probably go Rocky Horror in the end, too. The first song I ever learned to sing as a kid was Damn It, Janet. Much to the mm-hmm. chagrin of my grandmother. <laughs> but, um, yeah. No, there's a lot of stuff I enjoy about Rocky Horror. Though, man, some of those songs in Greece are so damn good. In the end, though, I, I think I got to go Rocky Horror. Pains me. That's a tough call for me because mm. I love them both so much. Because one of my first crushes, too, was Pinky, mm. you know, mm. uh, in Greece. So Interesting. Interesting choice. I always like the artsy girls, you know. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Um, one more, Matt. Let's close it out. Iron Sheik gives us our last call it. He asks Matt, which movie is better, Aquaman 2 or Hulk Hogan, go fuck yourself forever for? <laughs> um, uh, Hulk Hogan, go fuck yourself forever for. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. Mm-hmm. Do you follow What's the Iron Sheik on Twitter? Dookie? No, I don't. I you don't. may want to do that. Okay, <laughs> Basically, good. it's just him insulting people every single tweet. It's uh, Very nice. 
it's quite amusing. All right, good times. What are your decisions? What are you going to make the call on? Just an email at feedback at thefirsttorun.com. Matt, what are we going to be seeing next week? Um, we're going to be watching 3,000 Years of Longing, and we will wrap up our Malik Marathon with a bit of a tear um, with Voyage of Time. Documentaries, Matt. You love a documentary. Mm-hmm, do. We haven't done do one in like a long documentaries. time. So. Yeah. That'll be good. So, all right. In the meantime, you can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Do a search for the first run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually, you will find us. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a review. That'll help other people find the show. Go over to thefirstrun.com. You can find an archive of all of our old shows as well as the report card. If you want, man, what did Chris and Matt give uh, that movie? Um, the Tree of Life. Or the, the Tree of Life. That's a good one. Yeah. Search for that there, and you'll be able to find that out. And listen to that show. Mm-hmm. All right, Matt, let's go ahead then and uh, take an extended break. We love you very much, and we will see you soon. My father! My father! I found my father! Oh my god! What'd you say? Hey, what's up? Oh my god! Keep going! Keep going! Keep going! Okay. Oh